0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. So you may have seen on, uh, you may have seen on Facebook yesterday, but Uh, Someone just reminded me that, I don't know how many of them are in the room, but uh, the Whippeal Swimming Championships were yesterday, and the girls came in second place, and the boys were first place. That's the Indiana girls, the Indiana boys. So, uh, and I believe Isaac Griffith set some sort of record that had stood since like the last 24 years or 34 years or something like that. So, good job, Isaac. Well, good morning, family. If we have not met, my name is Jason, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to speak with you today. Um, I was going to do a little introduction and then pray, but I want to pray right away because have you ever gone to the grocery store when you're hungry? Have you ever done that? And everything looks good, and you buy too many things, right? Right? Um, if you ever have the opportunity to teach from the Scriptures, it's a beautiful thing because at first it's a little daunting, and then you start preparing, and the Lord just gives you and gives you and gives you lots of things, and it's, it's I think, way more fun to be the teacher maybe than it is to be the taught because you get all this stuff as you're preparing, and it feels a little bit like going to the grocery store when you're hungry, So over the past couple of months, knowing that I was going to teach today, I've been adding to this document and adding to this document of things that we could talk about from this passage, and earlier this week when I started really organizing it into something to communicate to you this morning, I realized I had nine pages of notes, and we would be here till after supper, and so I had to really, really cut it back, and I was cutting it back and cutting it back, and even last night I was cutting it back a little more and and asking the Lord what it is that He wants you to hear this morning. And so I want to pray right up front um, because I want to make sure that what is coming out of my mouth today is not driven by my notes, but rather driven by the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, I really want you to agree in prayer with me. I need your prayers, that amen at the end. Uh, You know, really be thinking about agreeing that the Lord's going to help me help you this morning. So let's do that. Father God, I am so very thankful that you are obviously at work in this place this morning, Lord, from the songs that we sang to the things that were shared to even the prayer that uh, Flavia prayed, uh, Lord, you are King Jesus. And Lord, we ask for you to continue to work in this place this morning, Lord. Give me the words that you would have spoken. Don't allow me to say anything that you don't want to be part of this message. Father, download into my brain the things that you want to have communicated this morning. Help me to hear and be obedient to your Holy Spirit. And Father, I ask for everyone here, myself included, that our ears would be opened to receive your word and change our lives. Father, transform our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, pop quiz. If you have a pen or paper, you may want to take the quiz on paper, or you can talk to your neighbor next to you and try to figure this out, or you can just do it in your brain. It's a spelling test. All right, spelling test. I'm going to give you a couple of really difficult words. I want to see if you can spell them. The first word is prospicience. I know. I can hardly say it. Prospicience. By the way, prospicience means foresight. So, if you have foresight, you are prospicient. But the word is prospicience. Have I given you enough time to figure it out? All right. Can we project it up there? What the actual… Can you see that? That's kind of small. P-R-O-S-P-I-C-I-E-N-C-E. Did anybody get it right? Wow! <laughs> I really thought no hands were going to go up. Okay. Okay. Let's get it let's be a little tougher. Anybody in here speak German? Because this is a German word. How about this one? Schirenschnitte. Schirenschnitte. Schurenschnitte is really interesting. It's if it's a type of art that involves really tiny, intricate cuttings of paper. And when you see it, it's just unbelievable that this was done with tiny little scissors. But it's a German word, Schirenschnitte. Did I give you enough time? All right, here's how you spell Schnitta. S-C-H-E-R-E-N-S-C-H, again, N-I-T-T-E. Okay, anybody get it right? Oh, fewer hands. All right, how about this one? This one's close to my heart because it's a music word. Dr. Collins, you're on the spot for this one. You see if you can get it right because you're a music guy. Appoggiatura. Appoggiatura, that's an Italian word. Appoggiatura. That is, uh, without getting too technical, it's kind of like a musical decoration. If you have a melody and you embellish it with this little thing, it's called an appoggiatura. All right, did I give you enough time? How about this one? Appoggiatura. A-P-P-O-G-G-I-A-T-U-R-A. Anybody get that one right? How many people, sorry if this is putting you on the spot, but how many people got them all wrong? Okay? I got them all wrong. <laughs> I would have gotten them all wrong. One time I misspelled the word sky. I wrote S-K-I and I thought, it doesn't look right, but I know that's a word. Um, so why are we talking about this? Every year, every year in the United States, 9 million students participate in school or local spelling bees, Nine, over 9 million students many of them are eliminated on the very first word they get. They never make it past the first word of the first round, but nine million start. Some of those kids, though, really take this seriously, and they make it their goal to try to win the Scripps National Spelling Bee. So nine million kids start, one kid wins across the entire United States. And if you want to win that... You have to spend months, if not years, literally memorizing dictionaries, learning foreign languages, memorizing words that are from languages that don't even exist anymore. And you do all of that to work toward being the one person who wins the Scripps National Spelling Bee. That one person is the person that over numerous competitions and thousands of words, they never miss one letter. Not one. They never spell a word wrong ever because there are no do-overs. Once you miss a letter, you're out of the competition. I always worry and think about the second place kid who studied all those months and years, memorized all those dictionaries, missed one letter and came that close to winning but didn't win because there's only one. Well, I think most of you in this room realize that spiritually speaking, there is a similar kind of test that we are all in, whether we choose to be in it or not, and it's a test in which the stakes are much, much higher because eternity lies in the balance, and it's a test that involves thousands and thousands of opportunities to choose right or wrong, to choose sin or not. It takes a lifetime And one tiny little mistake, one sin brings failure of the test. And what makes it even worse is that we're born having already failed the test. And everybody's in it. I may have already said that. Everyone's in the test whether they like it or not. So, we've been since January looking at the gospel of Mark, the book of Mark. And and today we reach… The midway point of the book. And what we've been asking all along is this question Who is this man? Mark wrote this gospel with that question in mind. He's trying to answer that question. And the point of today's message, the title of today's message, is this that question that we've been asking is the most important question. It's the most important question that can ever be asked and it requires an answer from everyone. If we think about our metaphor, like the uh, spelling bee metaphor, this question is sort of like the, the magic spelling bee word. If you can spell this word right, if you have the answer to this question, it doesn't matter how many other words you spell wrong. So this question is vastly, vastly important. And Joe gave me some advice this past week when he saw my nine pages of notes and said, you're going to have to cut this back a little bit. Um, He gave me some good advice. He said, you should think about making a claim on this passage and then organizing your, your content around the claim that you're making. So, I thought about that and I thought, here's the claim I want to make today. This most important question, who is this man, is a question that Every single human being must answer. Ignoring it is the same as answering it incorrectly. And the second part of the claim is this, that it's a question that needs to keep being answered over and over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we go on. This passage, which is going to be Mark 8 27 and following is a very familiar passage to to many of you, not all of you, but it's one that many of you will will know. And there's danger sometimes in, in talking about a passage that we feel like we're really comfortable with. My challenge to you this morning would be not to allow familiarity to bring complacency. This is something you've you may have heard before, but it's possible that the Lord intends to wash you completely new with this passage this morning, and I hope that He does. And the second challenge I have for you is to prepare to be challenged, because my hope at the end of all of this this morning is to leave you with something that will allow you to apply this passage in every single day that the Lord has given you remaining on this, in this place. So, that's our challenge. Don't don't think I already know it and, and wait because I, I'm hoping to give you something you can, that you can apply every single day. I think we're ready to go on. So, we're going to do a little bit of a review, and I promise it's not going to be a long review, uh, but we've been looking at the, the book of Mark, and everything up from January when Joe started teaching in January up until last week has been basically part one of the book. The book is organized into three pieces. And everything from the beginning to really about halfway through chapter 8 is part one. And we're going to review that today for a very specific reason. Now, I want to remind you that verse 1 of chapter 1 said this. Mark starts off not hiding the answer to the question. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ... The Son of God. So Mark starts right away giving you the answer to the question we've been asking all along. He's not writing this book to try to find out the answer. What he's doing is he's organizing the book um, to try to help those who are exploring who this guy is. And and he gives you the answer right up front, and then he goes on to, to lay out why he thinks that is. And it's in three sections. Everything up to now has been the first section. Everything after today, starting next week and going right up to Easter is going to be part three. And right here today in the middle of all of this is the connecting tissue between those two ends of the book. It's part two and I was really excited to get this part because it's very, very exciting. Mark is not writing a research paper. He's not exploring a hypothesis. He's not trying to discover for himself what the answer to the question is. He already presented the answer. But if he were writing a research report, if he were writing this paper, it would be in these three sections, and they might look something like this. Part one, which we've been doing up till now, would be the presentation of the data or the evidence that you can see about Jesus and what He's doing and who He's proclaiming Himself to be through the things that He's teaching and the things that He's doing. Part two, which we're going to look at today, are the findings. This is the conclusion that you come to. This is the answer to the question. And then part three after this, right up until Easter, are going to be the implications of what those findings are. Now, the review I want to do is going to be very, very quick, but we've been looking at all of these different events in Jesus' ministry, and they've been spread out from Sunday to Sunday over two months, and we've heard so many good things, but I want to pile it all together really quickly into this concentrated sort of package because I think it will help illuminate what we're going to cover in uh, part two. So, here are just like a quick review of things that we've seen Jesus do. We've seen him present himself to John the Baptist. The skies opened up and his father proclaimed that this was his son. We saw him led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil and he withstood those temptations. He overcame the schemes of the devil like no one has ever done and no one has ever done since. He's performed numerous Miraculous works. He's multiplied food for thousands of people. He's walked on water. He healed a paralytic man when his friends broke open the roof and lowered him down in front of Jesus uh, where he was teaching. He healed Jairus' daughter. He raised her from the dead, actually. She was she had died. He healed the woman who in the crowd reached out and just touched the hem of his garment. He delivered a man who had a legion of demons. He calmed a raging storm just by speaking to it. He gave sight to the blind. He taught all over the place with power and authority, and people were amazed at the way he was teaching and the things he was teaching, and he was challenged by the sort of experts of the day, and just confounded them. They, had, they just could, didn't know how to deal with this guy. A couple years ago, my family was very, very blessed to have the opportunity, the time, to do a lot of traveling. This was back in 2016, and in, in about a year, we drove all over the United States more than 10,000 miles. We drove more than 10,000 miles, and we went to kind of the northwest, and we went to the southwest, and we went down to the bottom of Florida, all in that year. And if you were to come over to our house and look at our pictures from all of those trips, you would see us at Old Faithful, or you would see us with the Rocky Mountains in the background, or you would see a picture from the top of Pikes Peak, or you would see the Grand Canyon, or you would see the blue waters in Florida. You would see all these different places that we arrived that were memorable for us. What you probably wouldn't see, or at least not very much of, are pictures from all of the hours in the car, right? Now, when I think back about that, all those trips, those 10,000 miles, to me, that is one of my most favorite parts of that trip. I mean, I loved the locations. I loved going to all those places. But we spent many, many, many hours driving all over the place, and you talk a lot, and you listen a lot, and you sing songs a lot, and you listen to audiobooks a lot, and those are really precious memories. And things happened during those hours in the car that are not recorded in our pictures, okay? Now, think about that. We've been looking through seven and a half chapters of Mark, and we're sort of getting the vacation pictures of the things that Jesus has done. We're not seeing all the stuff in between. Another gospel writer in uh, the gospel of John in chapter 21 verse 25 makes us aware of that. He says this beautiful little thing, which I, I just think this is so cool. He says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we get these little snippets of things, and that's amazing enough, but there was so much more. And not only was there more actual things happening, but the way he did things was incredible. This is one of those things that I can't go down this rabbit trail too long, but let me just say this really quickly. In Numbers, there's this, Numbers chapter 19, there's this specific thing that tells Jewish people that you should not touch dead people, should not touch a dead body. If you do, you're unclean. You have to wash a certain way on the third day, the seventh day. If you don't do it right, you're still unclean and you get through all this process. And here's Jesus going up to Jairus' daughter and he takes her hand. She's dead. He takes her hand. And instead of this affecting Jesus, he restores her to life. Do you remember when Joe taught in the very first week of this series, there was the man with leprosy, and Joe told us the story about um, how a a leper has to shout out, unclean, unclean, and they have to live away from the community. Well, that's, that's part of 91 verses in Leviticus about how you handle even suspected cases of leprosy, or if you've even been in the general vicinity of someone with leprosy. And here's Jesus touching a leper, and instead of contracting the disease or or being concerned about that, He's healing people. So, everything He's doing is turning things upside down. He's doing things completely unexpected. There is something different about this guy, and when you look through the, the gospel, you see that crowds, multitudes, they say sometimes, are flocking to Him because of the force of his personality and his authority and the way he teaches and the things he's doing. Because when you're hearing about this, when you're seeing the things he's doing, you it just the natural inclination is to think, what is up with this guy? Who is this? So I'm gonna remind you of the claim. Remember the claim we made. Everyone has to answer this question. We have to because we see the things that Jesus is doing. And it makes us think, something's different about this guy. You have to answer this question, unsaved and saved. And we have to keep answering it. So, it's in this context, that's the review. That's the review of everything we've done. It's in this context of all of these amazing things that we get to part two, this middle section, and it starts in chapter 8, verse 27. And it's a picture of this beautiful private conversation that Jesus is having with His disciples. This is like one of those traveling in the car moments, except we get a picture of this one. And it says this, and Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way He asked His disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told Him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So, Peter gives the correct answer to the most important question, you are the Christ. But before we get too excited about that, I want to remind you that a couple of chapters ago in Mark, demons gave the correct answer to that question. When they met Jesus, they knew who He was. So, here's the thing about the correct answer to that question. It's not only important to have the correct answer, but you have to have the correct answer and you have to get there the correct way. And here's what I mean. Actually, I'm not going to tell you what I mean yet. I changed my mind. I want to go back to the first question. Do you remember he asked the first question first? Who do the people say that I am? So, He's directing their attention outward, and I love that there's not one word of Scripture that's lost. Remember, it says they were in the villages of, near the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This, do we have that map? Do you have the map, Brian? Okay, this is, I love maps. Um, so, Caesarea Philippi is right up there. So, this is the Sea of Galilee, and they're walking all over the place. They walked miles and miles and miles. They must have been very fit So, Caesarea Philippi is right up here. It's a very mountainous region. Mount Hermon's up there. That's a really tall 9,000-foot mountain or something. So, they've got all these mountains around them, and they're in this area. And the short story about Caesarea Philippi is that this whole region in the north was kind of a hotbed of worshiping things that were not the one true God. So, in Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, is a Roman name, there was a monument to Caesar proclaiming Him as God. It was believed by the Greeks to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan. There was a, there was a stream that came out of the mountain that was believed to be the, the source of the Jordan River, which would have all kinds of implications for Jewish history. And it was also in that northern region that there was tons of Baal worship all throughout the Old Testament. So, all these different towns would have had these idols to Baal and worship, worshiping false gods. Jesus takes His disciples there to have this conversation. Who do the people say that I am? And if they had like looked around at what was going around and considered the history, they would have saw that people do all kinds of crazy things as far as what they believe about God and who to worship. The reality is the world wants to be the answer to that question. You know, if you ask the question in a different way, instead of who do you say that i am if if you ask the question who do you say that god is the world wants to be the answer to that question and will give us all kinds of opportunities to fill different things in there to be the god that we worship so he directs their attention outward to this sort of reality and then he makes it personal he asks them the second question he says who do you say who do you say that i am And Peter gives the correct answer. Now, if if we want to see how he got to that answer, we actually have to look outside the book of Mark. We have to go to Matthew, where we get a little bit more of the story. And in Matthew 16, verses 16 and 17, this is what happens. Simon Simon Peter gives the answer. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And check this out. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven." And that's huge. It has two really important implications. What it means is all of this evidence that we've seen through seven and a half chapters, it is not the reason Peter has the answer. It revealed things, but it did not cause him to have the answer. What it also means is that Peter's brain, the flesh and blood part of himself that processes these things, that revealed that he saw these real physical evidences. There were things going on in his brain that were seeing these things, but it wasn't the logical reasoning part of his brain that came to the correct answer. It was a gift. It was given to him by His Father who is in heaven. And so then it was correctly said that Peter is blessed. So to have the correct answer is good, but what you need is the correct answer in the correct way. Peter did not know the answer just because of what he saw. Peter knew the answer because he had been transformed, like Joe taught last week, that God transforms us from the inside. It was that transformation that happened inside of Peter, this gift from God. We actually, Joe mentioned this this morning when he was doing communion, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but it was by the gift, the grace of God, this not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. It was the gift of God that transformed Peter to be able to know that answer, What we see happening in Peter in this moment is what God promised in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. Now, I want to remind you, too, that everyone has to answer this question, and notice that You can't rely on other people. It wasn't about what the people said who Jesus… It's not not about how the people answered the question. He made sure that this was personal for every one of them. Following me so far? Okay, good. Now, Jesus does crazy, unexpected things, and sometimes it makes me feel bad for the disciples because they did not have the benefit like we have of having all of this in a book and hearing the stories a whole bunch of times. They were seeing this stuff for the very first time. And immediately following this conversation where Jesus says to Peter, you learned this because God gave you a gift from heaven. And what you learned is that I am the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. You're standing in the presence of God. Immediately following that, he begins to teach them and he says this, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So, you can just kind of see him saying this matter-of-factly, like this is just the truth, right after he just said that he was God. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So the man he just said was blessed because he'd received a gift from his Father who is in heaven. He now says, Get behind me, Satan. Poor Peter. Man, this guy. But this has actually been a theme throughout the first part of of Mark, and you may have missed it. I know I missed it like a million times, Um, read, read the book of Mark plenty of times through my life, and I've missed it a whole bunch of times. But did you ever wonder why there are so many instances when Jesus does something crazy, miraculous, and then he says, don't tell anybody about it? Isn't that weird? He says that to demons, don't reveal who I am he says that to people. Don't tell anyone what happened. The interesting thing is the people didn't listen to him. The demons obeyed him. The people went and told everybody. We don't have time to go into that. Um, But here's why. Does anybody remember how many years there were between Malachi and John the Baptist? So, Malachi was the last prophet the end of the Old Testament, and John the Baptist. If you know it, shout it out. Yeah, like 400 plus years that's a long time. It's about 450 so years. 450 years ago from 2019 was the year 1569. That's a long time ago. Shakespeare was five years old. The oldest colony in North America had only been around for four years. Everything that we, where we are right now would have been just practically endless wilderness and had been that way since creation, 450 years ago. So that's, that's a long time. And in their 450 years, it's a long time for them too, there, had, there, were no, there was nothing added to the Scriptures during that time. There were no prophets sent from God, but there were people writing things. There were respected leaders writing things, and they wrote about the Messiah, and they wrote about a very different kind of Messiah than we've come to know. They wrote about a Messiah who was going to show up and be a leader of men and raise up armies and overthrow oppressors and take over the Romans and win Israel back. They were, that was the Messiah they were looking for. They weren't looking for a humble carpenter who claims to be the Son of God and then is going to die. So, I honestly don't know, but I really think that, that Jesus, in all of these charging of people, strictly charging them not to tell who He was or reveal these things, I think it was to avoid confusion. Because what He was about to do, this unexpected thing He was about to do, and we're going to spend the next several weeks seeing that, is totally different than what they were waiting for. All right, now I want to show you something. Stop it, iPad. I want to show you something, but I need time to get something from the back. So, I, I want to go on to the next portion of Scripture. Which shows more about what Jesus' ministry is going to look like from this point on. And I asked Steve to read the next portion of Scripture while I get this thing in the back. So, Steve, can you read the next portion? Brian, you have it up there? Yep. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross. You step on that. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. All right. For what does it, man, oh, what, sorry. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Perfect. Thank you, Steve. I've got a big long rope here. I hope it doesn't get tangled on anyone and I hope it reaches the stage. Thank you, Mike Hartle, for giving me a 150-foot-long rope. All right. it's going to reach? Awesome. Perfect. Look at that. Just in time. All right. So it's a big long rope. I tried to reach it all the way through so that hopefully wherever you're sitting, you can see the rope somewhere, because I want this picture to stick with you. Some of you may know this illustration. This is kind of famous. Um, I was a little worried about whether or not I should do this because I thought maybe it was too well- known and I asked Joe Colleen if I should do it, and he said, don't worry, it only has seven and a half million views on YouTube. Probably no one's seen it. But <laughs> so, here's what this rope is. This rope represents a timeline of your existence. This is not my idea. I'm totally stealing this from someone else. This represents a timeline of your existence, and you have to use a little bit of imagination because this rope wraps through the church and it ends kind of right back there because it's only 150 feet long. But you need to imagine that this rope has no end. It just goes on forever. And that's that's true. Your existence is eternal regardless of where it is. I always crack up when people make a big deal about getting older when they have birthdays. I think, what difference does it make? You'll live forever, you know? So, it's, the rope goes on forever. This little red bit at the end is your time here on earth. This is your life. Right? And the interesting thing about this is that we, and I'm chief among this, okay, I'm totally like this. I spend so much time right here worrying about what's going to happen right here. Or I plan and I save and I organize, because I'm concerned about this part right here, and I forget about all this, okay? And that's what, it's kind of like what Jesus is teaching. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, this whole little red bit, but forfeit his soul? all this that goes on forever and ever and ever. Okay? Think about this. We, we, have, we are blessed to live in the United States of America, but it comes with dangers too. And the danger that it comes with is being way too focused on things here, way too focused on things that are comfortable and, and working toward that. Um, the Someone might be tempted to think, man, it was really a silly thing that you did by sacrificing your time and your money and your resources to give to a a missions trip or, you know, whatever, some some sort of thing that is invested in this reality. But they're worried about, that's silly because you could have done so much more. If you had invested that differently, you could have done something more here. But isn't it really, isn't that the silly logic? Isn't it so much better to think, I can invest something here that affects all of this for all of eternity, never goes away? That's an important thing to consider. And, and what we should be thinking about is really, when we're making those decisions about investments, we should be thinking about this spot right there where the red meets the rest of the rope. That's the finish line. And the reason we ought to keep that in mind is because we have no idea when that's going to happen. We tend to think, all right, like I'm 44 years old, so I don't know. I I would tend to think, all right, 44 is right there because I want to probably live that many more years at least, right? I want to go to 88, so I'm about halfway. But for all I know, 44 could be right there. I could be really close. I have no idea. None of us do. So we ought to be thinking that when that finish line comes, whenever it is, what do we want to have invested? What things do we want to be able to say, we laid this down so that we could gain all this? Isn't that a great picture? That's so cool. I'm so glad I stole that from someone else. (laughs) All right. I got to start wrapping this up. One of, the, one of the passages that was kind of assigned to me today that we just ran out of time and we're not going to get to is the transfiguration. So, we've got what we we've talked about so far is the big question, the most important question, who do you say that I am? Peter answers that question because he gets the answer in the correct way. He receives it from his Father who is in heaven. Jesus immediately starts to teach about this, laying down your life. And then it goes into chapter nine and he leads his disciples up onto the mountain and he's transfigured before them and they see him as he actually is. And we don't have time to talk about that. Read it on your own, that's your homework. But when you read it, think about these two things. To those who the Lord reveals himself, he keeps revealing himself. He is faithful to keep revealing himself. And we see that in the transfiguration. And the second thing is this, and I think this is really cool, is that the disciples are so confused, they just don't get it. They They don't have propitience. They don't have foresight to see what's coming. And so they're so confused. But after the transfiguration, they stop asking as many questions. They still don't get it. They still don't see it all. But once they've seen the Lord for who He is then a lot of the questions and the concerns and the rebukes and the arguing goes away. And they just follow Him and see what's going to happen next. So, read that on your own and and think about that. So, in closing, I told you at the beginning that I wanted to give you something that you could apply for every day that comes after this. And I hope this went a long way toward doing that. I hope this sticks in your brain. I hope you go and read the account of the Transfiguration, and I hope that that sticks with you too. But I want to remind you of the most important question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? If you are in this room or if you're watching online and you have never answered that question, you have to. You have to answer that question. If you have already answered that question, which I think is probably most of the folks in this room, if the Lord has already transformed your heart, has given you this beautiful gift from your Father who is in heaven, you need to keep answering that question. The reality is we all, myself included, face challenges and joys every day. For me, sometimes the first challenge of the day comes when the alarm clock goes off in the morning because I don't always want to get up. And a lot of those, well, actually all of those challenges, every single one of those challenges happen right here in this red bit on the tape because that's where we are. They all happen right here. Now, the problem is not all challenges and joys are created equal. I'm going to move my notes over because this rope is... Um, Some of them are challenges that are not really that important. We're spending our time being challenged and concerned about things that we don't really need to be challenged and concerned about. We're spending our time being really super excited and joyful about things that in the long run, you know, I mean, they're great to be happy about these things, but they're not really super important. And other challenges still happening here in this red tape are very real there are things that come against us because we are seeking to do the will of God and the enemy is trying to stand in our way. And a lot of the joys that we have are real joys as we get glimpses of this. and We get glimpses of the God who has purchased this for us. So there's a mixture of both. And here's the thing, if you, we, we were at the basketball game last night, it was faith night over at IUP, and after the game, there were a couple of speakers, and one of the coaches who spoke said something that struck me about today. He said, I'm a man of habits. Um, he said, I try to encourage that in my players, you know, whatever, but he said, we try to get into a routine and do habits every single day. And I thought, that would be great for this. What if we were in the habit of every day waking up and asking ourselves, who do I say that He is every day? Because if you answer that question correctly, and if you have been transformed by the Lord's goodness, you will answer it correctly. You have the Holy Spirit. He will remind you. The answer to that question will be, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you answer that every day, it's going to change how you view those challenges and those joys that we see it's going to help you prioritize things it's going to help you it's going to give you a desire and help you to walk in his will it's going to help you to lay things down that are not important it's going to help you to know which ones of those things are the unimportant things which ones you should lay down and which ones you should take up it's going to help you stand against the enemy when you see the challenges that are real It's going to help you humble yourself. It's going to help you turn to the Lord in prayer. It's going to help you do what He calls us to do, and that is to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for you. So, I'm just going to finish up and pray. The band can come up and lead us in worship here toward the end. But my challenge to you and my prayer here at the end would be this. That you see in The book of Mark that we've been pursuing a question over and over and over again. Mark, the gospel writer, has been helping us to do that. And the question is the most important question that can ever be. And that is, who is this man? The answer is, you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for those of us who know that, who have been gifted with that, keep asking it every single day. And allow that answer to that question to be something that changes the way you approach every challenge, the way that it changes the way you approach every person. I would love it if at the end of this service in a few minutes, we're all going to be milling around out there in the lobby. Imagine how it would change even your conversations with people if you as you were speaking to someone you remembered who Jesus is. And you thought to yourself, what can I lay down for the sake of this person I'm talking to? What can I give to this person and invest into their lives for all of this? It would change everything. And that's just one example. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we are so very thankful to You, Lord, this morning that we can come together and hear your word. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the faithfulness you have displayed in giving us your word. Father, I'm thankful, as silly as it may seem, I'm thankful for the gospel writer Mark. I'm thankful that he wrote in the way that he did. I'm thankful that he pursued this question for us to be able to pursue this question. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us as we go out of here, Father, to remember who you are every day. Father, if there are people here who don't know you, Lord, change their hearts. Give them a heart of flesh. Have them call on your name, Father. Give them that gift of salvation, Lord. We ask it. And for the rest of us, Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember also who you are every day and allow that knowledge to inform how we approach every minute of our lives. And Father, we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.